Need a few minutes to reset? Great Minds is a podcast from SBS that guides you through different meditation styles from around the world. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. You're listening to SBS News. We often hear about new policies and programs that promise to improve the lives of Australians. But what about the issues that are so stigmatised and seem to be too taboo for policymakers to address? I'm Brooke Young, and this is the Too Hard Basket. In this episode, we dive into the taboo topic of domestic violence and its impact on children's development. How can exposure to domestic or family violence in the home impact a child's ability to learn in the classroom and build positive relationships? And what needs to be done to make meaningful change? In all of the sort of counselling and therapy that I've tried to do over the years, I've come to learn that that's very much around um, the level of hypervigilance that I live with, so that constant assessing for potential threats. It really took a toll on one of my sons physically. So my oldest son actually um, lost his hair. And I remember taking him to the dermatologist who explained to me that my son had alopecia. And when I said to him, what's that caused by? He said, that's caused by stress. And I looked at him, I said, well, how can a three-year-old be stressed? And he looked at me and he said, what's going on at home? Kim McNamara and Anne Ali have both experienced the painful impact that domestic violence can have on a child. In the classroom, it may not be obvious, the cries for help often misread or unheard. But with such trauma throughout those crucial years of development, the effects of domestic violence on a child can be felt for a lifetime. And now, those who have experienced it are demanding those cries be heard. Kim doesn't remember much of her childhood. She's blocked most of it out because of the domestic violence she was exposed to at home. But looking back, she can see how her cognitive and emotional development suffered in those crucial years. If you're in that emotional space, emotional part of your brain and feeling very overwhelmed, it can impact you know, memory retention, memory loss. I notice things now sometimes if I'm sort of um, particularly feeling a bit more overwhelmed or slightly more stressed, you know, I might feel like, Thoughts just vanish mid-sentence. But she does remember being unable to concentrate at school a lot of the time. I recall very much the feelings of dread and fear and that kind of bracing for impact, not knowing what I was going to go home to at the end of the day. So that those feelings have very much stayed with me. Linda Campbell is a clinical psychologist and associate professor at the University of Newcastle specialising in child cognitive development. She says that children who have been exposed to domestic or family violence are in a constant state of hyper or hypo arousal, a fight or flight response. If you're living in, a, in an environment where you're constantly on the lookout for signals that you're safe or that you're unsafe, um, in order to protect yourself, you need to be able to react quickly. And that's what these children are doing as well. They, mm-hmm. 
they're becoming overreactive or oversensitized, mm-hmm. I suppose, yeah. to, to danger signals. So in a classroom, for instance, you can see that some of these children might over-interpret signals from classmates or teachers, um, interpreting more ambiguous social cues as hostile, um, frightening, scary situations and might therefore have a, a response that is not conducive to good social interactions. Rowena Moffat is the manager of the Centre for Women's, Children's and Family Health at Benevolent Society, a not-for-profit group supporting Australians in need. She says that children's survivors often internalise the blame and shame of domestic violence. When they live in the the fear of domestic violence, they develop maladaptive behaviours in order to survive that that critical and chaotic environment. So whilst these behaviours that they develop serve them well in that environment, often when they take those behaviours into other environments like the school setting and the context of the behaviour there is then misunderstood. So that then results in the child really being held accountable for their behaviour and it becomes about the child's behaviour. So the child becomes labelled as, you know, defiant, um, naughty, when actually the real issue is about the domestic violence and the trauma response that they're actually having. But Miss Moffat warns that those children who are actually more at risk are those that are hard to detect. There's children who are really compliant. They are they studious, they, they're quiet, they're cooperative, they do whatever's asked of them. And often that overcompliance can also be a survival strategy. But we just don't pay as much attention to it because it doesn't create chaos in the classroom or in the schoolyard. So we're so focused on the child who is, who is outwardly um, triggered or outwardly reactive, but we actually fail to see those really over-compliant children. Kim admits that she was one of those children. That's probably where I sat more than anything else. Um, Quiet, really trying very hard to do my work because for me there was significant implications of not getting it right. If the grades weren't good enough, um, there was implications for that. And... So, yeah, I used to try really, really hard, perhaps sometimes too too hard, (laughs) if that makes sense. In the context, you're going to be trying so hard but still not manage to grasp the points because, again, you just get overwhelmed with all the information. Research from the Australian Childhood Foundation finds 68% of children who have been exposed to abuse are at least two years behind academically. Ms Moffat says that this is an involuntary physiological response to trauma. So often their amygdala, which is the part of the brain, which is the survival part, like the alarm system, um, is often larger in children who have trauma. So they actually live in that part of their brain, which switches off their prefrontal cortex, which is the part of the reasoning and decision-making part of the brain, which is not developed for young children anyway. So the little capacity they have is often switched off when they live in a a state of fight or flight um, based on environments that are unsafe. This inability to concentrate in the classroom is often misidentified. Saskia Bian, a psychologist working in Women and Children's Refuge, says kids who have been exposed to domestic or family violence are often misdiagnosed with ADHD or autism. It's always easier for for people to to make diagnoses based on observable behaviours as opposed to understanding the underpinning reasons or the mechanisms that are underlying the behaviours that we see. Sometimes it's because people don't know. 
domestic violence can be quite insidious, right? And, and it's not always clear to professionals that that is one of the experiences that the children brings with them from home. And not knowing, then you make the diagnosis based on observable behaviours as opposed to the trauma that, that might be underpinning it. The Australian Childhood Foundation report also finds that 42% of children exposed to abuse have major difficulties making and keeping friends. And 48% identify feeling bullied in a school setting. For many, they develop secure attachment to their non-violent parent. This was the case for Kim and her sibling, who were both victims of family violence alongside their mother. We were very close and I guess I sort of reflect on that and in terms of the bond we had, you know, we, we learnt a lot about sort of reading the play and sticking together and, you know, we, we survived through that. And for many years um, my mum was absolutely my best friend. I was in a domestic violence situation and so both my children were living with domestic violence. And um, I remember it... it one point when my son was uh, 18 and I sat with him over lunch and I said to him, you know, son, I'm really sorry. I never really provided you with a good male role model. And he said, we didn't need one, mum. We had you. That's Dr Anne Ali. She says that while she was able to keep a roof over her and her children's heads, it was a constant struggle. I'm not going to um, sugarcoat anything and say that it was easy. There were times when I know that my parental capacity um, as a mother and, and you know, as a father as well, because they, their father was absent. Um, I know that my parental capacity was at times very, very diminished. Often with such fragile relations back home, children may turn to another prominent adult figure in their life, their teacher. Brendan Kenner is Deputy Principal at Wilmot Road Primary School in Victoria. He was recently recognised at the National Teaching Awards for his work in childhood trauma. He says that children who have experienced family violence often don't recognise when a teacher is trying to help them. So what happens is a a child will think, hang on, I've never felt this connection. and, And it's unusual. So what they do is they sabotage the relationship because a child is that has experienced trauma is more comfortable in that state of high arousal than what they are with their relational connection. So a teacher and a student is consistently fluctuating between trying to build the relationship and the connection and and the sabotage and then the reparation of, of that relationship. So that's that's a cycle. And the teacher carries that 24 hours a day. Dr Ali is now in a position to make some serious policy change. She's the Federal Minister for Early Education and the Federal Minister for Youth. She says the policy focus must be on resilience and connection and that schools can play an important role in this. What we can do is we can support teachers who may identify um, behaviours in a child that could be related to domestic and family violence. Uh, There are already some, um, some approaches out there, uh, but we will have the national principles of child safe organisations in schools Um, and that was something that was agreed upon in 2019 by all education ministers and those uh, national principles would include information on how to implement them in practice um, and upskilling teachers to be able to identify uh, children who are 
uh, who are experiencing these cognitive and behavioural and emotional um, impacts of family and domestic violence. Kim is now the Survivor Advocate Coordinator of the Family Violence Response Centre, Safe Steps Victoria. She believes that if the adults and teachers in her life had recognised her silent cries for help as a child, perhaps she may not have been subject to abuse for as long as she was. We just pause and say, what is happening for this child? Rather than immediately berating them for what we perceive as bad behaviour, um, I think that's really important and important for teachers and leaders in the education system to understand too. As a child that discloses that level of violence, you may be the first person that they talk to and your response might be the difference between you being the first and the last or the first of many that helps them on their healing journey. I asked Miss Moffat how she thinks we can create these understandings of childhood trauma at a policy level. She says that schools and policymakers need to start viewing the education system through a lens of domestic violence if there's going to be any long-term meaningful improvements. There's small steps that schools can start to take which will really support children and mothers who are living with domestic violence, whether it's current or post-separation. That will be really supportive and help the learning because the school then will become a safe place. The child will then trust school. They'll be safer there. They'll have a calmer adrenal system, a calmer brain, and they'll be able to start to learn. Mr Kenner, who chairs his school's paediatric program, works specifically in this area of improving children's learning capacity. He's developed a sensory motor program to help students remain in their optimal learning zone for longer. Children fluctuate within the, um, they have high arousal, the optimum arousal and low arousal levels. What we've done is we create a series of activities where a child uh, exits a classroom. They do a sensory diet that helps them to um, move out of their current state of arousal and back into the optimum state of arousal. And what that does is that enables a child who's exposed to trauma or stress, it allows them to complete a series of activities that, that decrease the level of cortisol that, that's, that's in the brain and it allows them to um, have their sensory need met. When their sensory needs met, the learning brain is re-engaged. Dr Ali says her government will have a child-centred approach to this issue, what she calls a wraparound approach. The child does not develop in a vacuum. They develop in uh, socialising settings such as schools and they develop um, within the family unit as well. So we do have to have a whole of family approach here. And I think one of the things that we can do is look at providing for a, um, a child who has been uh, recognised as living in a family and domestic violence situation, providing them with some positive relationship. She says early intervention is also paramount, as seen with the government's Connected Beginnings program. It focuses specifically on preparing Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander children for school and supporting them in their younger years. So a child would go to early childhood uh, learning, but uh, they will also be included in that, within that, co-located, if you like, within that, um, you know, speech therapists, occupational therapists. So the child's whole holistic needs are looked after, not just their education and learning, but also their health, their development needs, their emotional needs. 
Um, and so when you have these connected beginning sites, uh, the, the, the child and the family have access to a range of other social services that can provide those supports and that scaffolding. For Kim, reflecting on her childhood and how her trauma has shaped her is cathartic. Positive relationships, support and resilience are three key words she keeps returning to. I remember seeing a picture of all these trees lined up and they were almost 90 degree angles because they were in this high wind area. But because their root system was really grounded, um, they were able to still adapt and withstand that environment. So what does that mean for a child who hasn't had that, who doesn't have that deep rooted connection to their family, to where they've come from? Yeah, we need to be thinking about what does that look like to help people maybe create more of those environments where children are stable, they've got the ability to dream and experience life safely, provide that solid foundation for them to withstand the challenges that are going to come with life. If you or anyone you know needs support, call 1800RESPECT. Children can also reach out to the Kids Helpline on one 800 551 800. Brooke Young, SBS News.